Good morning, church. Let me add my welcome to Anna's and say thank you for being with us. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at Metro Life Church. Uh, if this is your first Sunday or you've been coming for a while, uh, I look forward to meeting you along with my wife, Stephanie. We'll be in the lobby after the service to be able to greet you and thank you for being here. Would you turn with me in your Bible to 1 Peter? We're going to be in chapter 3 today. 1 Peter chapter 3. We're looking beginning in verse 8. Uh, but even as I continue to welcome folks, I just want to say thank you for being here. I know there are some who may be here that are from the Funtoberfest event that we hosted in our community uh, just last weekend. Thank you for being with us this morning. I know there's many other things that can be happening, but we believe that it's important for the people of God to gather together in these types of corporate environments to both learn from the word and be an encouragement to each other. And so thank you for taking the time to do that today. Uh, today may not be as much as for you as an individual as you will be able to be there for others. And we're actually going to see that concept in 1 Peter chapter 8. But I, I think that a lot of us, when we gather together on a morning like this, we gather together anticipating the word, maybe trying to think through all of the things that have happened in the morning, even just to be able to set this kind of time aside. But at the core of all of us, so many of us are living both to do good for others and experience good for ourselves. There's actually something godly about that. We, we don't talk about that a lot of times, but there's something godly about desiring good in this life. And you may think, okay, we have no idea where you're going to go with this. Like, I, I suffer for the glory of God. That's my lot in life as a believer or something along those lines. But Scripture affirms that there is good that God has created for us to experience in this life and to do good for others, to be a good for others, to be able to experience in this life. And so God is inviting us into that today as a part of his mission in this world. And I think it's important for us to keep that in mind as we read in 1 Peter because it can be very easy for us to get into a suffering mindset because Peter is beginning to transition from what it looks like to de declare what it looks like to submit for the glory of God in a variety of different ways, in a variety of different contexts, whether that's something at home or in the workplace or in governance in the public square, it might be said. But he's beginning to take our submission. He's beginning to transition to what it looks like to glorify God through suffering. Now, some of us may think that suffering is limited to something like physical ailment or the way that kind of a darkness of mind, a heaviness of our soul. But what Peter's explicitly addressing in 1 Peter is suffering that is a hostility toward the faith that these individuals, these believers had. Think about what it must have been like to, to live as a Christian in the totalitarian rule of Romans. The Caesar, you would have been a tiny minority as a believer in that. You were seen as the reason for any problem that society faced because you wouldn't worship the Roman gods. You're the problem. Peter's words to us then is to, to be subject and bear unjust sufferings or hostility against your faith, but in the midst of that, to keep your conduct honorable. Now, his words are plain, but they're not easy. They're plain to us today, but they're not easy. And I think that what Peter wants to draw our attention to today is that no matter what we are going through, no matter what circumstance you are facing, no matter what suffering, whether it's physical ailment, a heaviness of heart, a darkness of mind, whether it's hostility toward your faith and being oppressed because of your belief, no matter what you are going through, we should always live out our faith in Christ. That this inner life that we have should be expressed externally no matter what we're walking through. And the best way to do this is to show our hope in Christ consistently. It's what we were just singing about. So with that in mind, let's look again at some of the basics. As, as we seek to do good in this world, as we seek to see the good in this world, let's look at some of the basics of our Christian faith. Would you read with me in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8? Finally, all of you have a unity of mind, sympathy, Brotherly love, a tender heart, and humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires 
to love life and see good days. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue that. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, would your word illuminate our heart and make clear the path ahead for us in this life? Lord, for those who are experiencing suffering this morning, may this not be another layer of any sense of darkness or heaviness or condemnation. May the light of hope break through today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice that Peter's not giving those scattered exiles any new instructions. He's not really covering anything that's like, this is shockingly new. This is the only place in Scripture that it's said this way. He's actually quoting and bringing a a number of the themes throughout Scripture together in these passages. He's actually quoting explicitly from Psalm 34. These are the basics of our faith. But it's a reminder to us that when we get in certain circumstances, what are we going to do? We're going to rely on the basics of our faith. Last night I had the privilege of beginning to teach my daughter guitar. It was a blessing for me, but I was going back to the basics with her of not just the right fret to have your finger on, but like the right placement in that fret to have your finger. And there's these basic things that you have to be able to fall back into even as a musician. And Peter wants us to rehearse. He wants us to practice these basic things because it will remind us of the core of our mission in this life. No matter what your strengths or weaknesses are, no matter your introverted or extroverted personality, no matter your spiritual giftings, these are the basics for all of us in the church. This is something that is a call to all of us. He's letting them know, even in the midst of the hostility towards your faith, the basics are still applicable. But they're not easy. They're not easy to live out. And he begins in verse 8 by actually speaking specifically to the gathered church, the family of the church. Now, he's used that familial language before, but he's going to actually kind of double down on it in a very specific way. In verse 8 where he's saying, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Now, you might think that a humble mind is the point. He's kind of developing out this list, and it's going to end at this crescendo. But actually, that's not the way that this passage is formed. What he's trying to say is that he's saying, have a unity of mind and a humble mind. And that begins to put the outer ring on the bullseye of what he's after. And then he kind of closes in another place, and he says that there would be a sympathy and a tender heart. And he goes in a little bit further, and he says, what is the point of all of this? What is the expression in the church? Brotherly love. Philadelphia, a love that is warmed in the presence of those fellow exiles, a heart that is softened toward them. You know, I I couldn't help but think this week that even as we go about this life, there are phrases that can enter our vernacular that at times will, they become this kind of normal part of our vernacular, and, and yet at the same time, we know there's like this savage hidden meaning in it. So the phrase that came to mind was, bless your heart. I think the laughter tells me you know what the hidden meaning is. What an idiot. You know what Peter's concerned about in the church? A bless your heart mentality, not a tender heart mentality. May there be no place for that in this church. Imagine how corrosive that could be in a gathering of believers, no matter the size. See where... Two or three are together, the presence of the Lord is there, and he is hearing their prayers, but when two or three together, a bless your heart mentality is very easily there as well. We've all had that moment in community group, right? We don't say it out loud, but by not answering what somebody shares in group, it's bless your heart. The Lord bless your heart, because he made you that way. See, what I think that Peter's after is that we get over ourselves for the glory of God so that we can get under one another's burdens and sympathy. He's after a tender-hearted mentality in the church. And this, is, this is, goes beyond something that just says we should have a softness of heart. We shouldn't be callous toward one another. No, it's actually the, the language in the original language is almost as if our heart melts 
when we think about our brothers and sisters. There is a softness and a tenderness that is just there by its very nature of our relationship with one another. Whether you've been in this church for a couple of weeks, whether you've been in a variety of other churches and you come in here, we all have church experiences where we have experienced bless your heart, not tender heart, don't we? And Peter is after our hearts as individuals because he says our hearts as individuals are going to make or break what happens in the whole. So yes, he's talking to me today just as much as he's talking to you. He's saying, church, when you are gathered together, what kind of love should be expressed? A tender, brotherly love. Why why would this matter? Well, because... Peter's not after, when he says a unity of mind, he's not after a uniformity. The church doesn't need multiple me's. Thanks, Mom. (laughs) The church doesn't need multiple you's. The church needs Christ-like us's. Why does that matter? Because when a church, not just cookie-cutter uniformity, but with a unity of mind, is a powerful apologetic to the world around us. I joked with a couple this morning. I said, what brings you to this side of the sanctuary? Did somebody lose a bet? They said, every once in a while, we just like mixing it up. And I love that because they're not trying to be settled, even in their experience on Sunday mornings. Now, all y'all change seats next Sunday, I might be a little thrown off. Might have to preach this summer and backwards just to keep up with y'all. I don't know. But, you know, there are ways that we can just get caught in these ruts in our faith, aren't there? And Peter says that there's a rut in our faith that we should never get out of, and that is a brotherly love toward one another. A tender-hearted unity of mind, a sympathetic approach to one another, because that is a powerful witness to the world around us again not difficult to understand is it difficult to put into practice and we need God's power at work in us when I'm talking about God's power I I, I yes mean that we are captivated by the beauty of Christ our Savior in the way that he loves us so much that he would lay down his life for us. The beauty of God our Father, that he loves this world that he created so much that he would send his only son to us. What I'm also talking about is the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us to reveal those areas where our hearts are hardened toward one another. Where this tender affection toward one another is misplaced or misguided. We need the power of God at work in us. So that's some instruction from Paul on how it is that we relate together as a church. How is it that we relate to the world around us? It's not going to be easier there. Yet we can put into practice things here in the church that we can then take with us. So as it relates to a hostile society, we actually see him giving instruction in verses 9 through 12 for that. He says, don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. I don't know about you, but I don't like that. I like a sense of justice for today. That feels good to me. We're supposed to desire what's good, and it feels good that there's a repaying of evil for evil. And yet, I'm instructed, we are instructed, that we have been blessed to be a blessing. No, on the contrary, verse 9 goes on to say, bless no qualifiers no if this then that chart calling to bless easy to understand difficult to live isn't it i'm with you on that my family sees that struggle firsthand those that i'm close with see that struggle firsthand And yet we are called into this spiritual battle. Now why would I call it a spiritual battle? Well, we're going to see in just a moment, even as we saw last week, that there is this call that we don't give into the fear of the situation of what our calling is in Christ. In other words, we don't give into fear so we don't submit in the way that God has called us to. 
We don't give in to fear so that we don't live in the way that we're called to. So we won't give in to fear so that we don't bless others. No, there's actually a promise that comes with that. A promise that we will also obtain a blessing ourselves. It's instructive for us today. But let's remember that in the world as we interact with them, we are told in Scripture that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood but with powers and principalities. Don't be afraid to talk about those aspects of our faith, even as we seek to do something as basic as good in the world around us. There are good ways to respond and bad ways to respond. We're taught that from a very early age. The Christian life is no different than that. There are ways to go about good spiritual warfare, and there are not helpful ways to go about spiritual warfare. You know a good way for us to all be engaged in spiritual warfare is to not give in to fear. Whether you're prone to that mindset or not, whether you need help in that mindset or not, please know I'm not discounting that. What I'm saying is the calling is for all of us to not give in to that, but to engage in this spiritual warfare. What is our mission in this life? To be a blessing. What is it that facilitates Being a blessing to others, well, Psalm 34 gives us a clue. That's what Peter quotes here. He says this, for whoever desires to love life and see good days. Who doesn't desire that? I don't care what you're walking through. We desire to see good days. We desire to love the life that we're building. Friday night, we had the opportunity to be together as a family. Our our family kind of became a spectacle in the midst of Carabas as we were celebrating the first lady's birthday. And I stood up at one point and I said, ladies and gentlemen, I kind of clinked on the glasses. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my wife's birthday today. And she is turning another year older. (laughs) Bless my heart. She's turning another year older and everybody laughed and then tables came by. Our table became a spectacle because there was so much laughter happening. It was a distraction. That's good. That's good. That's what it means to live as a light in the world. Not just that there would be a family of five seated around a table laughing and having fun together. Devices put away until I start acting the fool at the table and stand up and get the whole, uh, whole restaurant's attention. College age students, parents, high school students sitting there together laughing. There's good in that. We're called to be a blessing to others. It means in the way that we interact with those servers, the way that we interact with other tables as they shared stories and and laughter over me saying she's turning another year older. There's good in that. You know what I'd like to think, church? I'd like to think that that night was actually a blessing to others. That they saw that there's hope in this world, even for families as they're gathered together. Do I do that because I'm trying to draw attention to me? No. I do it because I'm trying to embarrass the first lady. Actually, we do that because we want to glorify God with our lives. Peter gives us some instruction here. These are commands in Scripture. And then he gives us the the backing way it is that we should go about it. So let me give you an example. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, I think that there's actually eternal implications to that. Not just do you want to see good in this world and then that will be the only good that you ever experience. No, that we actually have hope in a good that is to come eternally in the presence of God. I think there's eternal implications to that. But look at the end of verse 10. It says, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. All right, so you want to live for heaven? Watch your mouth. Easy to say. Hard to live, isn't it? Want to live for heaven? Watch your mouth. Do you desire to love life? Do you desire to see good days? Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. See, in that command, what he's telling us is, there's this great vision for something. Here's how you go about it. And how often do we kind of put the way that we're supposed to go about it first, and we forget why it is that we're called to live that way. Or we're so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. We just go about it and say, well, heaven is my home, so I'm just going to live however it is that I need to today. No, we are instructed as we wait for that day in glory. 
for those good days eternally. What does a holy life look like? It looks like turning away from evil. It looks like turning toward doing what is good. There are 12 times that that phrase is listed in the New Testament. Six of them are captured for us in 1 Peter alone. I think there's a point for us as believers. He is concerned about what happens to us internally and how that affects how we live externally. He's helping us to understand that the way that we live, our outer selves and our inner selves are inextricably connected. You cannot separate them out from one another. What is going on inside of us is what's going to spill out in our lives toward others. And here is a concern that Peter also gets to. He's saying, are we contorting ourselves so much to the world that the world is actually seeping its way in rather than what's happening inside of us being what's spilling out as we are out and about in the world? Do you hear the difference? It's the echoes of Daniel. We're in Babylon, but don't let Babylon in. To look different and to live differently than the world around us. Don't contort ourselves, but be conformed into what? The image of Christ. Christ himself would give instructions on what it looks like to live for the good of others. It doesn't just look like watching your mouth. It actually looks like peacemaking. How many of us don't want peace? Our family this week had the, the great sibling gift exchange. It's the draw. I have my sister-in-law who lives in Texas. That's who I'm buying for this year. And so what began to happen in this group chat on our phones was that Christmas lists started to get shared. Mine's one of the last ones that got put out there. I was just busy this week. And so I finally just found a gif that just said world peace. And I said, I just put the finishing touches on my Christmas list for this year. World peace. It's a simple list. That's all I'm asking for. World peace. And the kids are like, Dad, every year. You put us through this every year. I love the idea of peace. The world doesn't. Sometimes my home doesn't. Sometimes my own heart and mind don't love the idea of peace. And yet part of the way that we're instructed to be a blessing to others is to live peaceably with others, dealing with our own heart, pursuing peace with others as it relates to us. This is a part of the instruction that Jesus himself gives in Matthew 5, 8 as a part of the Sermon on the Mount where he says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're envisioned for the day to come. We're instructed in how to live this day. What is Jesus doing? He is both setting up the practice and the pattern to receive power for the Christian life. He's setting up the practice and the pattern for us to receive the power for the Christian life. And he tells us this, in the midst of what you're going to be doing in this life, there's not just a day coming where, when you will en enjoy the eternal peace and joy of my presence, but I, my joy is towards you now. His eyes, his favor is on us. It is resting on us. His, his face is trending and inclined toward us. His ears are open to us. That's what it says in verse 12. You see, you can read verse 12 from Psalm 34. Or 1 Peter chapter 3, you can read that verse and you can look at that as this, if it's this ominous warning. And for those who are not in Christ, it is. The eyes of the Lord are on you. But toward the righteous, his face shows his favor because of Jesus Christ. He's not standing there as some austere God who is saying, perform for me or I'm not going to even look at you. How many of us have had that experience with our own fathers in this world? Where you have this sense of, I have to try to get your attention in some sort of way in order for you to look at me. And God is not that way toward us. Because of Jesus Christ and what he's done, his face is toward us. And, and more than that, we don't have to try to get his attention by saying, Dad, Daddy, Abba, Father, what are you trying to do? What can I do to get your attention? No, his ears are open to us. That's what favor and blessing look like in the Christian life. 
It's what makes these instructions so practical for us. But it reminds us we don't have to generate the power in and of ourselves. Why? We can look to him and realize this is what he wants for us. In those moments when you feel weak and lacking, you can say, I need help. And know that his ears are open to you. That's good news, church. It sounded like this in the high priestly prayer from Numbers chapter 6. I believe this will be our benediction today as well. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It's what we all want as we desire good. As I was thinking about these passages this week, this motif of music began to kind of roll around in my head, and it was from the musical Hamilton. It must be nice, must be nice to have Washington on your side. If you've seen the musical, you know what I'm talking about. For those who are in Christ, imagine having the creator of the universe showing his favor to you. His ears open to you that's real nice to have the sovereign Lord on your side surrounding you going before guarding behind standing beside encompassing us as we walk through this life how is it that you live the Christian life in less than ideal circumstances You go back to the basics with one another. You remind each other of these truths. Let's continue to look as we wrap up today, looking at the hope that is within us. Let's begin in in verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 3. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than doing evil. Now, let's not rewrite history. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Peter, his name's Caesar. Anybody that is Roman, they can kill us for our faith. They have. Who is there that can harm me? A lot of people. Is Peter talking about this life? No. In the heavens, in eternal terms, living for Christ means nothing you walk through in this life can rob your salvation from you. It is secured eternally by the blood of the Lamb. So this is not us just walking around confident as if nothing could ever cause pain in this life It's telling us not to find our hope and our confidence in this life, to find it in the life that is to come when we are in glory. Who is there that can harm you if you're zealous for doing what's good? You know, there may be a lot of people in life that can harm you, and not a single one of them can rob you of your salvation. That's good news for us. And yet, how easy is it for us to lose sight of that in those moments? How easy is it for us to lose sight of that in these moments? Can we also remember that Peter is the one who denies Christ? In those dark moments, he denied the Savior that he's now proclaiming. He knows what it looks like to deny and to try to give in to the moment where people are trying to rob you of your salvation. And what did Christ do? He forgives and accepts him then again, just like he does for you and for me. 
Let's remember the history so that it instructs us well how to live for today. We don't canonize it. We don't make it this thing where it's like, well, in the historical context of this, that, the other thing. No, it, it instructs us to say that there's nothing that you're facing this day, including losing your life for your faith, that can rob salvation. There may be many toils, snares in this life, but there is a day that they will all fade away in the light of his glory, in the light of his grace. See, there's a connection between the things that we suffer in this world, the hostilities, and the hope that Peter wants to make sure that's in our hearts today. I don't know what you're going to be facing this week and why it is that that this passage is for today, but can we hear this as an instruction that equips us for the days ahead? Can we hear this as an instruction that helps us know this is what it's going to mean to live for Christ in the days ahead? This is not some, this is the sign of the times kind of message This is always the sign of the times for those who are in Christ. This instruction is for us today. What does it look like? It looks like sharing the hope that's in us. Talking about the hope that's in us. Modeling an unshaken nature in the hope that is in us. This goes beyond evangelism tactics, courses, or models. This goes beyond even the spiritual gifting or even the office of evangelist in the church. This goes to the call of every believer that's here today. Share the hope that's in you. Share the hope that is in you. A couple of weeks ago, I didn't ask for permission for this. They'll let me know if it's an issue. It's kind of a tale of two Katie's in my office within a week. I now refer to them as Chung and Cubic, which will also be their law practice name. But I had a conversation with Katie Chung and a conversation with Katie Cubic, and we were talking around some similar things, and, and Cubic was acknowledging a gratitude for Chung, and what a beautiful picture that is. I'm so glad I have a friend that challenges me in this area of evangelism. And, you know, I, I, <clears throat> I understand that. There are times that I, I'm, I know that I'm supposed to proclaim the goodness of God, and yet there are times that I can find myself giving in to the fear, or more than that, honestly, just the inconvenience of considering somebody else to share hope. See, it sounds rude even when I say it out loud like that, but it, isn't that so many of our temptation? I don't have time to share my hope right now. I've, I've got to get to this thing. Then there's the other thing. Is that a different place? I appreciate the perspective of so many in our church, including Robert Watler, who last week said, you know, I don't, I don't want to just, just share my faith today at the Funtoberfest. I want to see people come to Jesus Christ today. Yes. Yes. We realize this goes beyond <clears throat> tactics or equipping courses or models or modes of evangelism. It goes to our call as believers and witnesses to others. Here is the motive For our faithful witness, the motive is what our hearts are zealous for, zealous for what is good. It is good for us to share share our faith with others. It is good for us to share hope with others. And, And Peter, again, is making those connections between our inner life and our outer life and how they are inseparable. He wants us to know what's going on inside of us will come out, especially when we're suffering. I have the privilege of doing hospital visitations, and my favorite ones are when everybody on the floor knows whose room I'm there because they've already shared Jesus with everyone. What a beautiful picture of what I'm talking about. But you know, there are Christians who have suffered hostilities toward their faith, and and today we may even continue to face those hostilities. There are a number of people who have this large voice throughout the world today that are known as exvangelicals. But let's be honest, church, they are not the only ones that have had bad experiences with the church that need to hear the basics of the good news of the gospel. There may be those that are unchurched. They've never had any contact or experience with the church, and they are going about life as happy because they have never experienced the good of the church. They're happy without it. Why would I give that kind of time every Sunday? Every Sunday you're there? Why would I give that kind of time? I'm doing fine without it. So you have the unchurched. Those who 
maybe even through funerals or weddings, have never even darkened the door of a facility like ours. Or the de-churched, those who have been hardened to the church because they've had contact with it, but they've moved away or they've been hurt by it in the past. Those are hostilities that we may face in the world today. And it means this, that we can't leave evangelism to Sunday mornings. We can't leave sharing our faith to Sundays. Sharing our faith and our hope in Christ has to be there every single day in the life of the believer. One of the beautiful parts of the conversation with the two Katies, Chung and Cubic, was Cubic was acknowledging her sister's desire to share her faith with others. And it's a beautiful thing to see happen. I'm so grateful that John and Katie represent us in our next steps. There isn't anybody that I could think that would be better to represent us as as a church. I'm just so glad that they are there because they have that personality that goes out and seeks people. It's like their inner golden retriever just comes out on those days. It's lovely. And Katie's sitting there and she said, it just challenges me in my faith. You know, there have been studies recently that have actually shown that One out of every two people that you invite to church will join you on a Sunday. Not based on your spiritual gifting, not based on your personality, not based on anything except for this one condition. You ask. That's all it requires. Now, if I came to you and I said, do you know that 50% of the time when you ask somebody if they would like to join you at church, they will join you? I bet if you heard a stat like that, you would say, well, that encourages me. I want to start asking more people. Do it. I dare you. Share your faith. Share the hope. See, it doesn't come down to Chung's evangelistic giftings or Cubic's hospitality. They don't have to change who they are to be who they've been made in Christ. They don't have to change their giftings, their personalities. They can be exactly who they are, just like you can be exactly who you are and I can be exactly who I am. And we can share the good news of the gospel in our faith. How do we go about doing this? Well, we pursue practical goodness. Our witness includes more than deeds, but does include deeds. It's part of why I'm so grateful for the, uh, so many who volunteered last week for the Funtoberfest. In a few weeks, we're going to have another opportunity for practical goodness in our community through neighbor to neighbor. Those are just good ways for us to be out and be a part of the good for our neighborhood and our community around us. No, we're supposed to be zealous for what is good. We are supposed to be honoring Christ as Lord. We are supposed to do that in a way that is with gentleness and respect toward others. And Shane has set us up for success in that. Be a good neighbor. Be a good employee. Surprise others with acts of kindness. Live an attractive life. That's part of what it looks like to do so. So practical goodness. What else? Christ-centered reverence. Don't fear people. Fear God. What does verse 15 say? In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Fear God more than you fear people. Share with them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who we talked about a couple of weeks ago, said this. Those who are still afraid of men have no fear of God. And those who fear God have no fear of men. When we stand in awe of the one who gave his all for us, we will not fear we will join with Peter's words and say, who is there that can harm me if I'm zealous for what is good? It's good for us to daily lay aside our fears and take up a renewed awe of God and honor Christ as Lord with our life. What else is it that we are called to do? Practical goodness, Christ-centered reverence, excuse me, and we are called to every day be ready. When? Every day. Who? Anyone. Really simple target. who anyone when any day maybe for you it'll be today maybe it'll be tomorrow in that meeting that you didn't want to be in in the first place and God has put you in that meeting so that you can share maybe you got called to campus for some special class or a lab that you have to go to and in the midst of your grumbling and your complaining you remember that there may actually be a purpose for you being there why to be daily ready to share the hope that is in you Begins to change our perspective in life, doesn't it? Begins to help us see the purpose and why it is that we walk through the things that we do. What is the thing that we're supposed to be prepared with? Well, our subject should be hope. 
Our tone should be gentle and our goal should be faithfulness. Our subject is hope. All Christians have hope. Whether you have formal training in evangelism or apologetics, whether that is your spiritual gift, whether your personality is intra or extraverted, this hope means that we have an assured, settled confidence in a new heaven, in a new earth, just as we were singing about earlier. No more tears, no more pain. Final vindication. Seeing Jesus Christ face to face. You know, to be an effective witness, it's good to have a song in your heart. I didn't say you had to be able to sing. But it's good to have a song in your heart. What should, what should the subject of that song be? Hope. Shining. Sustaining you. Even in opposition. So our subject is hope. Our tone should be gentle. Look how it is that we're instructed at the end of verse 15. In your hearts honor Christ. And when you engage with others and somebody asks you for the reason in your hope, do it with gentleness and respect. We're not to be demeaning. We don't have to confront. The gospel is offensive on its own. You don't have to take up that mantle for it. You can share your hope with gentleness and respect toward who will hopefully be with you for eternity when you're done sharing. Remember that we're not there to win an argument. We're there to win a person, just as Jesus did with us. We're not there to have this mic drop moment or to win as if we are in some kind of eternal debate club. That sounds awful to me. We're there to win a person, just as Jesus Christ did with you and does for you. So we can have this gentle tone. But our goal is not just to go about life and having this song of hope and this gentle tone. It is to be a faithful people of God. You know, when we don't see people respond in the way that we would, when you feel like you're on a, a long track of ha the other half of that equation that will just never show up to church with you, and you feel like, I don't know, it just seems like my luck runs out with evangelism. Somehow I pick the ones that will never respond. When people don't respond the way that you hope that they would, remember that your goal is not to meet some kind of evangelistic, hope-filled quota. Your goal is to be faithful to the one who is faithful to you. Notice how these claims on our life today are looking to the future to inform them? They're looking to the future to inform how it is that we live. Some may respond, others may not, but our call is not a list of results, but a life of faithfulness to the one who is faithful to us. As we move to a close, I wonder if you'll turn to Psalm chapter 34 with me. I've, I've mentioned it a couple times. It's what Peter quotes explicitly here. But if we're called to be faithful, can, can we see the one who is faithful to us in a fresh way this morning. I'm going to ask that the ushers not begin to move. We are beginning to transition to the close, to communion. And, and church, I just want to ask you, just in this moment, let's let the Holy Spirit move in our hearts and power. That's not isolated to any one moment in the church. It doesn't need the band to back it in some special way. We just need the one who we are constantly dependent on to move in our hearts and our minds. See, Psalm chapter 34 is an invitation to us. It's an invitation to experience the love of our Savior in a very practical and intimate way. It's, it's an invitation to be at his table. It's an invitation to understand what this good is for us. The, the word good is used throughout that passage in Psalm chapter 34. If we were to read this psalm, we would see how it is that Christ's sufferings were the pathway to his exaltation in this life and in the life to come. And Jesus' life was a life that was beautiful and filled with doing good for others. We see in this the echoes of the one who will be our gentle savior, the one who will invite weary ones to come to him to find rest. The one who is 
creating in us new creations with new purpose, new mission, new hope, and empowered by the Holy Spirit to share this hope and this beauty with others. See, Psalm chapter 34 is an invitation to commune with Christ himself. See, David was in the midst of a strange moment in life where he was facing hostility. So strange a moment, in fact, that David actually had to act crazy so that he would be released from the captive that he was in because his life was being spared. And he was so joyful over the sparing of his life and the miraculous way that God intervened. Yes, he acted like a crazy person in order for it to happen. But he recognized that the source of that was not his winsomeness to to have just the right way that he should act to be released. The source of his salvation was God himself. And he's in the midst of this moment and he writes this psalm. In the middle of that psalm it says this. Oh fear the Lord you his saints in verse 9. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger but those who seek The Lord lack no good thing. Come. Oh, children, listen to me, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? There's 1 Peter. Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil, do good, seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears toward their cry. Verse 16 goes on to say this. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. David had cried out for help. He needed salvation. He needed wisdom to know how to go about that. And the Lord provided So he is saying this out of the experience of his own life. And church, no matter who you are today, a believer or someone who has never declared their faith in the Lord, can I tell you, the same is true for you. When you cry out to the Lord for help, the Lord hears and delivers you. The reason I asked the ushers not to deliver the, the elements for communion today to those who may need it is today could be the day that you for the first time enjoy this meal as a, as a believer as a believer what do I mean by that you acknowledge your own sinfulness and your own inability to live this life in any way that is good certainly not good enough to gain your way into heaven you recognize that even as we sang in that last hymn before the end of the worship through song this morning, that it is done, it is finished, can apply to you, not because of anything that you can do, but only because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And the invitation is the same for you today as it is everyone else sitting around you who has had to receive that invitation. I'm invited to different things throughout life. I only get to experience the ones that I respond to. This morning, if you hear this invitation that Jesus would be your Lord and Savior, and he's saying to you, come to me, would you accept that invitation? All of Psalm 34 is an invitation to understand who God is. For those who believe, who have received this invitation before, it's an invitation to go even deeper into your experience with him, knowing his love and his power for you. It echoes the words, Jesus used words often about bread and filling and tasting, even as we see in Psalm chapter 34, as he is implementing in what is often known as the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper, Jesus once again uses this language of bread and filling and sustenance and tasting and something that's this very tactile experience with him. And he wants us to understand what it is for our soul that he's working to do. And in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, it says this, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Today as we prepare our hearts to receive communion together, ushers, you can go ahead and begin to move. If if you need the elements, just if you would quietly raise your hand. 
and our ushers will bring those around to you. This is my body, take it and eat. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Today, if you're here and you have proclaimed your trust in Jesus Christ, know that this is an invitation to have a taste of the meal to come one day when we are with him in heaven. It's a reminder to us that Jesus is the only one who can satisfy our soul. Have you been snacking on the things of the world throughout the rest of the week? Put them aside and feast on your Savior today. Are you here today and you want to taste and see that the Lord is good and you have this sense that he is saying, you are mine and I want you to know that for sure for yourself. It's very simple to respond in this way. You receive his invitation to draw near to his table. You receive of him as your Savior. Even as you receive these elements, you understand that this blood has been poured out for you. His body was broken for you. And by your receiving him in that way, you begin to live your life in a way that says, I want to declare, because I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, I want to declare his goodness to everyone around me with the rest of my life. Church, can we spend just a moment contemplation, examining our own hearts before the Lord, before we receive together.